Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. I'm so excited today to have Ogi Abuno with us. She is absolutely incredible. She uh, has a wonderful story. She was a former retail manager. Uh, She quit that job because it was awful. Uh, She became a a yogi that got into breath work uh, because of, you know, the thing we all find ourselves in depression and then she's also now made her directorial debut in invisible portraits a documentary series celebrating the uh, lives of black women and black girls and it is just so incredible her energy is just so wonderful she reminded me that the most important breath work is what we do every day it keeps us from um you know dying Lots of really wonderful conversation here. So please enjoy this episode of Not Too Deep with Ogie Abuno. Ogie, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, One, I just feel like you exude this um, calm, poised energy that I feel like I could glean so much from. Uh, so I'm beyond excited to have a conversation with you. Uh, first of all, was that a cat in the background? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> I love it, it. It's a French bulldog. <gasps> you a French bulldog? Yes. Her name is Rumi, like the poet. Um, and she's 11 uh, months. You have a baby French bulldog. That is like a dream of mine. Um, Is this new in your world or have you had her for a few months? Um, Well, I've had her for a few months. I got her, I gifted her to myself on my birthday last year (gasps) and I got her when she was eight weeks old. So (gasps) I've had her now for about nine months. And what's her personality if she has fully developed into one? (laughs) Ooh, um, she's a diva. It's and yeah. she just she just is um on her last phase of being in heat. So the oh. diva attitude amplified or magnified times ten. It was really? a lot. <laughs> I also think that's so wonderful that uh, you gifted yourself a French bulldog for your birthday because truly, as an adult, you can do whatever you want, and I think that's so incredible. <laughs> <laughs> You really can. Like, that is one of the perks of adulthood, I will say. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I could talk for three hours about uh, wanting to know every single thing about your French bulldog, but I want to know about you. Um, you have an incredible story that, uh, not to reduce it, but I mean, you were a yogi, you're a director now, I, I but I want to hear about like the beginnings of everything. How did you get into, well, you're from Texas, right? Yes, I okay. am. Okay. So how did you get into healing? How did you get into yoga? That whole world, first of all. Um, depression. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Okay. <laughs> That'll definitely do it. Yeah. Um, I had, um, I had moved to LA about, it's going on now almost nine and a half, 10 years um, from Houston, okay. Texas. Um, and I had moved to LA working with a company that I had worked with in Houston for about four years. And they moved me out to LA to help run the stores here in LA. And six months into it, I just quit. Cause I was like, I, I can't do this. I was 26 at the time I was young. Um, and this company 
I mean, I already knew that the company was inherently um, racist, but you know, wow. like I was so young and naive and I was like, I can change this company. I just want to uh, show them how to do good. And then um, when I moved to LA, it just really magnified how not only racist, but homophobic and sexist and ableist this company was. And I was like, I cannot do this. And so yeah. I quit six months into it and I fell into like a really dark phase of depression. Like it was like three months um, where I literally could not leave my home. And yeah. um, a friend that I had met, well, an associate rather that I had met while working at this store in LA. Um, she was like, you should come do yoga. Like yoga makes me feel so good. And I was like, okay. That I'll cliche try. thing that people say about yoga. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I had never even heard of yoga prior to that moment. And so yeah. I go take this vinyasa class and I absolutely hated it. I was like, oh, this is not it. Like, <laughs> No, I'm good. No, I'm not interested. And a week later, another associate that an acquaintance that I I had met was like, oh, well, come take this yoga class with me. And I was like, absolutely not. Like not into it. (laughs) And she's like, but it's different. It's about breath work and meditation. And I was like, what is that? And I go Mm. to this restorative yoga class and I'm bawling, crying throughout the entire class because I was feeling things that I have never felt before in my body. And I was really? like, what was that? And so I got <laughs> addicted to it and I started taking it like four or five times a week. And then I wow. was like, oh, I want to teach this. This is so therapeutic and healing. And that's how the journey started with yoga. Wow. That's so interesting. Cause that's, I am a person that could probably benefit from yoga and breath work and meditation, but I am also, um, uh, one of those people that's like uncomfortable with being vulnerable in that way. And I feel like there is such a dependence on vulnerability. Like what's your, now that you've experienced it and fallen in love with it, what kind of advice or like thoughts do you give to people that are like you were in the beginning, hesitant about all of it? Yeah. Um, I think it's exactly what you said, right? Like give yourself the grace yeah. to be vulnerable um, mm-hmm. because you know, we are very much so conditioned to be guarded and rightfully so for so many different reasons. Right. But there is so much healing and vulnerability. Um, Mm. and if you feel that, um, big classes are not your thing, um, Mm. one of the good graces of restorative yoga is that most people don't take it because of that reason. So the classes are very small and intimate, but I would really just say, start off with like breath work, right. Um, and Mm. our meditation, and you can do that in the confines of your own home, or yeah. you can do that with a one-on-one with a yoga instructor or a meditation or breathwork facilitator. Um, mm. But I will say, grant yourself the permission and the grace to be vulnerable because it is so therapeutic and it's so yeah. healing. Now, in on the other side of that, is there ever a time when it's too much yoga? Is there a cap on how much breathwork you can do throughout a week or a day? Absolutely not. When it comes to breath work and meditation, I say absolutely not because you're doing breath work right now as you're talking to me, right? If you wasn't Mm -hmm. doing it, you'll be dead, right? So it's just really very true about breath work. (laughs) (laughs) When you think about breath work, it's really about just being intentional with your breath and -hmm. allowing yourself to feel where you may be holding tension in your body, right? Like most of us walk around with like clenched jaws or like tightened shoulders or a fist balled up and you not know where you're holding tension in your body. So Mm -hmm. when you're intentionally doing breath work, it's just allowing you to be present um, and just see what's showing up for you in your body and in the space that you're currently in. Um, So Mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever too much of that. Um, 
But when it comes to, I would say, the physical practice of yoga, right, the asanas, um, I think that if it's taught correctly, it's never too much of that, right? It's when it's not yeah. taught correctly and so many people get injured because you're trying to figure it out and a right. class full of so many different people. Um, but when anything is done intentionally, I don't think it's ever too much of it. Good to know. Uh, also, I love that. Yeah. If you don't do your breath work, you physically die. That's a great takeaway for me. <laughs> um, okay. Talk to me about going from you quit this terrible like company you find yoga to, you know, find yourself a bit. How do you get into the production, producing, directing, entertainment side of things from there? The casting couch. No, yeah, really? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I, will, I respect anyone's journey if it got them to the beautiful place you're in now. <laughs> no, I'm totally, I did not do that, guys. I kid you not. But no, um, it was really because like I was teaching yoga all through LA and a friend recommended me to this studio in Beverly Hills. And the owners were like, well, can you come in and do a mock session for us? Because like they were very new to restorative yoga. And okay. I go in and do a, a session for the owners. And they're like, oh my God, we love this. We want you to start teaching here. Our clients could benefit from it. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. like let's continue conversations and figure out how we can make it work for our schedules. Yeah. And two days later, they send me an email and they say, hey, we have a VIP client. We think we'll love your type of yoga. And I mm-hmm. was like, oh, okay. They're like, can you come tomorrow? And I was like, I, I can't. Like my schedule was so packed. That's very ominous too. Right. And then they were like, um, and I was like, I'm so sorry, but I can't make tomorrow. Like he'll pay you double. And I was like, I can't do it. They're like, he'll pay you triple. I was like, I'll be there at 8 (laughs) a.m. I suddenly have an opening. Got it. So I had to like re, um, rearrange my schedule and I go and I do this session for this guy. And at the end of the session, he goes, I really want to start practicing with you. Like, is there any way you can see me throughout the week? Hmm. And I was like, well, my schedule really was, I was like, there's just no way I'm teaching um, classes. I'm teaching privates. Like I, I can't make it work. Yeah. And then like a few days later, maybe a few weeks later, a client had went on holiday for like three months. She was going to go travel the world. And I was like, yeah. yo, I have a three month slot. Like you can come in and I can see you as much as I can. But when it, the three months is up, we'll figure it out. So yeah. he starts doing these sessions with me. And I would say maybe like four or six weeks into it. He looks at me at the one session and he goes, have you ever thought about working in film and music? And I was like, absolutely not. Not interested. <laughs> didn't go to school for it. And no. And then I'm thinking like, oh, this is what they mean by the casting couch. These older mm. guys try to get you to like be like, oh, I see something in you. Right. And I was just like, not interested. Um, and then he was like, oh, okay. And then like every time I saw him afterwards, Jet would always say, I really think you should consider it. Like there's just something about you. And I was just like, wow. huh. So then a few weeks into it, I was like, I don't even know your last name. I only know you as Jed. Like, what is your last name and what do you do? And so then he goes on to start explaining, like, he's like, you know, I was the CEO and chairman of Sony Music in the UK. And now um, me and my business partner, Colin Firth, just started a production company six months ago. I had no clue who Colin Firth was. I was like, who was that? He was like, what? (laughs) I was like, like, that sounds like a, like someone that makes cleaning (laughs) products. I don't know. (laughs) He was like, he starts naming all his films. He's like King's Beach. And I'm like, don't. He's like, okay, I need you to watch this. And then the next time I see you, let's talk. And so I, I watch King's Beach and I come back and I'm like, oh, like great movie. Don't know who he is. And I still am not really interested. I don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. So then a few weeks later, he goes, listen, um, I followed my intuition all my life. 
And for some reason, it's really telling me I should bring you on to come work with us. And so I just want you to really consider it. And then let's talk. So then I go home and call like my mom and my best friend. I'm like, this is wild. Like, what should I do? And my mom, it was my mom who was like, try it for three months. If you don't like it, quit. Like, just try it. And so I was like, okay. And that led to what now is what, six years in the industry? Wow. That's a wild story. And uh, it feels like it could have ended in a totally uh, (laughs) terrible way. (laughs) But wow. I mean, did you have this person said that they trusted their intuition. Was there anything in you like intuitively that you were like this feel like I may as well? Or were there things that were still like, because it sounds very similar to the way you started yoga of being like, no, not for me. But then finding out that like, actually, it is for you. That has actually been the story of my life. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, we're doing that. And then a few <laughs> months or years later, the universe is like, mm, actually, you are. Um, (laughs) um, yeah, like I, I, what I'm learning now is that in those moments when I'm feeling fear, um, Mm -hmm. it's because I'm like resistant against what is actually coming up for me. And so Mm -hmm. now I've learned to just dive into that and allow myself to open to whatever is being presented to me if it feels right. So in that moment, I didn't even allow myself to assess whether it felt right. I was just like, oh, this is new. No, not doing it. Don't know about it. Like it's very like guarded with it all. Yeah. Um, Because also it required me to move. Like I I had to move to London and I moved to London and lived there for four years. Right. Wow. So it was just in the time my intuition probably was saying to try it and do it. But there was just so much fear that was coming up for me that I was resistant initially. A huge leap of faith on something that is very intangible to like process for yourself. Uh, It's incredible. But uh, so now you are six years into the business and the most recent project, Invisible Portraits, is so incredible and beautiful. How how did this come to you? Really random. So after- again, this is truly the story of your life. <laughs> is- really I, I see how you work. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, after I left Rain Dog, I moved back to LA. Actually, what I noticed is that the, the aha moments in my life really come at the dark bouts of depression. So I moved back to LA mm. and I was experiencing depression. Um, mm-hmm. and LA was, has that effect on all of us. <laughs> I, I was just like, so, did I make the right decision to leave? Like, what am I going to do next? Mm. I was so confused about my next steps. And I had been in this space of depression for about four weeks. Like it was really heavy. Um, yeah. and a woman that I met a few months prior to at some charity event sends me a text randomly. And she's like, Hey, I know we don't really know each other really random, but I'm at lunch with a friend. He has this idea. And I thought about you, like, can you meet him tomorrow before he flies out, um, out of LA? And initially I was like, girl, I'm so depressed. I don't want to meet nobody. And <laughs> I was resistant to it. And then yeah. she was just like, well, just, just meet with him. Like, and if you don't feel it, then leave the meeting. And I was like, yeah. okay, fine. I'll meet. So the next day I go and I walk into this meeting and it's this like middle-aged white guy sitting across from me, Michael Meyer. Mm-hmm. And I sit down, we do the formals, like, hi, how are you? And I was like, so what's your, what's the, what's the plan? And he's like, well, you know, I was watching this YouTube clip of Isaiah Thomas being inducted into the hall of fame. And in this clip, his mother is crying because he's like sharing how she made all these sacrifices for him to be where he's at today. And it hit me in that moment that 
there is nothing out really that celebrates the black mother. And I want to create something that does that. And I was like, what? Like <laughs> the do? last thing you're expecting to hear <laughs> from this white man. Yeah. yeah. I was like, there has to be more like this yeah. cannot be the real reason why you want to do this. He's like, no, like this is why. And so I was like, oh, that's wild. And I was like, okay, well, if I was to create something, like I would create something that celebrate black women and girls because we're that mm-hmm. before we're mothers. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, if you can come up with an idea and I like it, I'll fully fund it. And I was like, what? like, wait, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> like, record player scratch. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, huh? And in my head, I'm like, I hope he knows that I'm not a director. So I was like, let me just pitch together an idea. And if he likes it, I'll bring on a director and bring a team on. Cause at the time, like in the industry, I was only known as a producer. Okay. Um, and so I come back and I pitched this idea to Michael and he's like, okay, I'll fully fund it. How much do you need? Go make it. And I was wow. like, what? I was like, I'm not no director. I was like, no. He was like, is this your story? Did you, is this your vision? And I'm like, yeah. He was like, well then I fully support it. I want you to go make it. And initially wow. I was like, oh no, like I, no, <laughs> like, mm-mm. And it, it Again, the talking, no, the resistance. The resistance, right? Yeah. It took me talking to a dear friend and she was like, like, why would you not make it? You know? And she was like, if it's, mm-hmm. you know, if it's fear, like just know that's valid. And like, you have the full weight of me and my team to support you. You need it. Like, but you're making this story. And, yeah. you know, in that moment I called him and said, okay, I'll do it. And wow. It. Wow. I mean, there must've been just a roller coaster of emotions in saying yes to this project because uh, I mean, it's, I read it took three years to create the entire project. Yeah. And so how, what's that like when you're going in, first of all, you're saying yes to something that you've technically never done before in a story that's, uh, you know, incredibly important. Like how I would I'd be a fucking mess on the floor. Like, how did you get yourself through this? Like, how, how did this come together for you? Um, I got through it through therapy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) the first nine months um I put myself into pre-production which is what the first nine months all I did um was six days a week 12 to 14 hours a day I would just read and study the history of black women so I would read books and articles about black women written by black women and it it started to like three months into it it got really dark and heavy like you're reading these slave narratives about like seven-year-old girls being raped and forced to have babies right you're reading about the involuntary experimentation on black women's bodies. Like you're reading about all this dark and heavy things that you a didn't know about and B they don't teach in schools. Right. And so the day that I wouldn't do it, which was Sunday, that'll be the day that I would rest. Cause every other day I was in research mode. I couldn't get out of bed before like the afternoon. Like I would be in bed in a ball crying. And I was like, yo, am I depressed again? Like, where's it coming from? (laughs) And so I reached out to my therapist and was like, I need to get back into therapy. This is very heavy for me. And Mm -hmm. there's no way that I'm going to finish this documentary if I don't have this extra resource and tool. And so Mm -hmm. um, my therapist played a huge part in helping me navigate the feelings, the range of the feelings that I was feeling in the pre-production phase of it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was heavy. And then being on set, right. Like talking to these scholars and historians and even to these everyday women and girls who've lost their sons and daughters to police violence. Right. It was very real for them. And in those moments, you know, there was, I can tell you how many times we didn't cry on set as a crew versus how many times we did. 
we didn't, yeah. right? Like there was so much tears because, you know, you cultivate a space for these people to be vulnerable and share things that they've never shared in public. Um, and you have to do, I think, um, an intentional job in cultivating space for them to feel safe to do that, right? Um, yeah. So it was, it was challenging. <laughs> I'm sure. I it Also just the ability for you to, to recognize like the challenge and get help through it to create such a beautiful end product, uh, is very cool overall. Um, I read somewhere that, uh, the younger girls stories were the ones that really struck you through the process. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, all of it really struck me, but there was this one young girl in particular Empress when, yeah we were interviewing her and I asked her a question about how does she view beauty and does she think that she's beautiful? And Mm -hmm. she goes on to say, um, yeah, but it's really challenging because, you know, I'm cross-eyed. And so when I go out into the world, so many people on a daily basis come up to me asking me what's wrong with my eyes. And so Mm -hmm. I had to teach myself to go into the mirror at home and say that I'm beautiful. And then I just lost it on set. I'm like bawling, crying. I look around the crew is yeah. crying. I look to the right. Her mother is bawling, crying because even yeah. her mother didn't know that she did that. Right. Wow. And so that was her first time hearing that. And I'm like, at the tender age of like 11 and 12 and 13, I had no wherewithal to go to Amira and tell myself I'm beautiful or say these affirmations to myself because the world consistently told me that I wasn't. And so the fact mm. that she was able to do that um, really rocked me to my core. And I was like, are you in therapy? And she was like, <laughs> no, what's that? And I was like, well, and that just really shook me. Cause I'm like, yeah. I'm living this in therapy now. And I'm 30 at the time I was 32. I was like, I'm 32. Like it was just, <laughs> it was, it was, it was so, yeah, it was crazy. It's so beautiful to, to process all of that. And almost like uh hard, uh, difficult to process that someone is so resilient in that way. How has it been since the, uh, since the film's out, how has the response been? I'm sure you're still processing that too, because it only came out uh, a few, what, a week ago or so? Yeah. Two weeks ago? Well, I'm processing it now because, you know, the past few weeks has been so busy with press. Right. And so I would say the past four days has really been me trying to process it all. And yeah. it's been interesting. Like, you know, I get DMs all the time and emails all the time now from people sharing their stories and like, especially like young black women saying how they feel seen and older black women um, saying how they feel seen. And even just like black men reaching out being like, I didn't know, I didn't know the history. Like I didn't know this. And so I'm going to show up better as a brother. I'm going to show up better as a husband and a father Um, to even folks who aren't black reaching out saying like, I had no clue. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to process what it's been like for me, but also hold space for those who are sharing messages with me, whether it's via DMs or emails. So it's been. um, I'm sure you're still you're in it still. So I'm sure it's hard to like fully, you know, uh, have a conclusion on how everything is going currently. But I do have a question because you're so busy when you do have a day off, which I'm sure is rare, especially now. What's your go to like? Uh, do you laze around? Do you binge watch television? Do you like practice yoga? Like what's your go-to? My go-to is really listening to jazz music and reading. Like I'm a ferocious reader. Like I love reading. And lately I've been reading a lot of bell hooks and James Baldwin. And so like, that's my go-to, like that's where I find 
my sense of peace and calm is in reading those various narratives and essays in their books. So mm-hmm. I do that um, when I need to ground myself. I stretch oh. every day um, and I do meditation and breath work every day. So that's a non-negotiable. But the yeah. days that I'm off to recenter myself is really just listening to jazz and reading books. Nice. Also, yeah, I see on your Instagram that you put like daily meditations and things like that out into the world, which I think is so lovely because we so often forget to like pause and think about things in a more like focused manner. And so I, for one, appreciate that, that that's a non-negotiable for you every day. Um, Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I have uh, a bunch more questions for you. They're not as as deep as those. So uh, (laughs) just be be prepared. We'll be right back. We're not too deep. Hello, listeners. Grace Helbig here, wanting to say two things. A big thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, If you're a regular listener, if this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you. And uh, second thing, if you are enjoying yourself here in this not-too-deep world we've built and you'd like to leave us a review, that would be so wonderful. If you can go to the iTunes store, the App Store, and leave us a lovely little review comment. How are you feeling? Good, bad, otherwise? Maybe just good or otherwise would be appreciated. Other than that, enjoy the podcast. Okay, Ogie, we are back in, and uh, now we're going to get to the questions I ask every single guest that is on the podcast. Um, And the the first one is, who, alive or dead, would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? Cold spaghetti. Yes. Ah. (laughs) And I told you these wouldn't be as deep as Um, the questions. (laughs) I would like to throw cold spaghetti at 45. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a very popular answer. Mm-hmm. And you don't really need to give us an explanation. I think it's all right <laughs> there. <laughs> okay. The other question I ask every single guest is to tell us uh, your worst pants shitting story or like a bathroom emergency story, but you can only use three words or three small phrases to describe the event. So for instance, mine is college jogging front lawn. Oh, Okay. Um, mine's would be, um, um, New Year's Eve party. Yeah. Hot non-binary person. Okay. <laughs> and bathroom. Ah, uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> No follow-up questions. That paints a, a beautiful and uh, a stressful picture. <laughs> uh, okay, now we're, we're doing this kind of new segment on the podcast called um, Deep or Hot, where basically you can choose to answer a deep question that we have for you, or you can give us a hot take on something if you have something that's currently been bothering you that you'd need to get off your chest okay would you like a deep question or to give us a hot take a deep question okay here's your question and this kind of goes along with um what you were telling us before about the girl that you had interviewed what were the hurdles of accepting your true beauty what were the hurdles 
I would say the hurdles were really all the myths that I was made to believe to be true, which Mm -hmm. is that you had to be slender and you had to be light skin and you had to have long hair. Um, And because I didn't see anyone that really looks like me growing up, Mm -hmm. um, I felt so not beautiful. And then as I started to realize my own beauty, um, I would get things like, oh, you're really pretty for a dark skinned girl or Mm -hmm. like, ooh, like you have really nice hair for a dark skinned girl. So then like, as I'm like, I felt like blossoming into accepting my beauty. I was combated with that as well. Um, So that led to a lot of me questioning my beauty. Um, I would say it wasn't until about nine years ago when I shaved my head bald um, that I was like, "Mm, I don't even care. Like I'm going to do me. And I rocked a bald head for nine years. I just grew it back like eight weeks ago. Yeah. Um, So prior to that, I was bald. Wow. I mean, that's a beautiful answer. Uh, And I will be ruminating on that uh, throughout the rest of the day. Uh, One other question I have for you. This last year obviously has been wild for everyone. Have you picked up any um, pandemic hobbies? Have you picked up any? uh, Are you doing bread making? Are you making um, scarves? Are you doing anything other than, you know, being incredibly busy? making documentaries um i bought two our place pans because i was like i'm gonna start (gasps) teaching myself how to cook i have one of those too it's currently in my sink yeah and and it's on my stove and it has not been used yet really (laughs) yeah so i i I picked up things hoping to pick up hobbies but it hasn't even implemented yet okay i mean there's still time i guess uh my other question is what do you watch? What do you, are we know you read and you listen to jazz. Are you, when you sit down to watch something, are you watching TV? Are you watching films? It really just depends on it. Like I, if, if a show is really good or a film is really good and it's a must see and it was like, you have to see it, then I'll watch it. I really don't just sit around watching TV. Yeah. Um, good for you. That's really yeah. nice. <laughs> um but yeah no I I like to create content but I'm really not it just has to be good like recently I saw um Miss America on Hulu which I loved yeah um I May Destroy You on HBO love um I also love Chewing Gum I binge watched that um I love Big Mouth um Mm. on Netflix yeah um yeah like if I am watching something it has to be something really funny or just really good yeah that makes sense. Um, also, I'm curious about your relationship with social media. Do Is it something you enjoy? Do you kind of take it in small doses? Like, how is your relationship with social media? It's a love-hate. I take it in yeah. doses um, because I feel like it. it's just overwhelming and a lot yeah. of it isn't real. <laughs> yeah. And so I have to take it in doses. Um, I would say that I've been the most active I've ever been on it within the past year, especially giving all that was happening last summer. Yeah. Um, but for a while, my page was on private. Um, really? Yeah. Cause that's how much I was just like, mm, I don't need y'all unless you know me, know me, you don't need to know my page. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, friends and my team was like, mm, you got to open that up girl. <laughs> 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 so literally in the, I would say in the past, like it was probably like February of last year that I opened it up. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's a love hate thing. Yeah. Is there anyone that you recommend following that you enjoy 
that stands out to you? Um, I who I'm enjoying right now is Meg The Stallion. I mm. love her content, and I just love everything about her and how she's just so unapologetically herself. Yeah, and she's also from Houston, so you know. There you go. Um, but I do love her page. Oh, that's great. We always need recommendations, especially, I mean, we're all following her already, but uh, if you're not, get on it. If if you're not, then you definitely should. Yes. Okay. We're going to take one last break. And when we get back, um, we have our listeners and viewers submit some questions about life that they need like guidance or advice on that maybe you and I can uh, offer some interesting perspectives on. So we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Okay, we're back and I have some uh, submitted questions that I think you might have some really cool advice for. So the first one comes from Caitlin. She says, I have plenty of ideas for this or for that. And I find it very difficult to follow through. I used to have late hours and always use that as an excuse. I recently got a new job. I get off at a great time and the job is boring. So during the evenings, I have the time to work. uh, Plus the drive to be creative due to the boring workday. What tactics can be helpful to sit down and do the work, but keep on working when that initial excitement is gone? Do you have any sort of ways in which you work, especially after working on a project for three years, I'm sure you have like peaks and valleys of how, you know, in it you feel at the time. Do you, have you developed any systems for yourself that help you stay motivated? I mean, the first thing is letting go of the things that's not serving you. So, I mean, Mm. this is may not what she wants to hear, but I would say quit your job because it Mm. sounds like it's draining. Yeah. Um, and go after your dreams, like go after what you really want. Like we, I think are in such a, a profound moment right now where so many people are questioning, um, how they're showing up in life. Right. So many people are asking the question, am I authentically showing up as myself? Mm. And so I think you're in a very prime time to do that. Um, and if you feel that what you're currently doing is not what you want to do, which is what it sounds like, um, take a bet on yourself quit that job and know that by doing that, that opens up way for all the things that's meant for you to come into place. And that way you'll have the energy and the drive to pursue those things that you want, you really want to do. Cause it's hard to yeah. go what you really want when you've been so exhausted and drained by doing something that isn't fulfilling, that isn't you. Um, so no matter, I think no matter what kind of advice is given to you, Um, if you're in a space that isn't fulfilling you and it's actually draining you, that advice won't be sustainable because you won't have the energy to even do what's being advised for you to do. So, I mean, as much as this may not be the answer that you were intending, I would say, let go of what's weighing you down so that the things that's meant for you can enter into the space. That's beautiful advice. There's, I mean, when you quit your retail, uh, working situation, First of all, how did you quit? Did you do it in a letter? Did you do it like uh, in a flourishing kind of verbal (laughs) situation? (laughs) Yeah, no, I called and was like, I was inside the store and I was managing it. And I just called um, the regional manager. And I was like, "Um, yeah, I quit today. I'm not doing this anymore. (laughs) And she was like, well, can you can you just wait till tomorrow so we can find someone to replace you? I was like, no, because y'all don't respect people. And Mm. I actually had no intention of doing this. But when I walked in this morning, I was like, and I'm done. And wow. so like, in that moment. 
I mean, that's in- incredible. Like you get right to the point. Uh, another question for you, uh, for me is for people that do work in retail, like I, I waited a billion tables in my life. And I always wonder if you had any tips or tricks for dealing with customers that were just kind of, you know, pieces of shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we had it all the time in the, in the store that I worked at, um, yeah. will come in either felt really entitled or was just really just mean spirited. Yeah. I mean, there really isn't, I mean, I would have to catch myself. There were so many times I was just ready to pop off yeah. and I realized that I couldn't do that because of the, the, the title that I had at this particular company. And so for me, it was really just finding ways to not take it personal as hard as that is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then whenever that situation was over and dealt with, then I would find ways to vent and release it. Right. So whether it was me calling a friend and just being like, I just need you to hold space for me right now and just let me vent. And them doing that. Or if a friend didn't have the capacity to hold space, like for me, it was a lot of breath work to really calm me down. Um, or me journaling what I wish I would have said to that person just to get it out of my body and my system. Those are ways that really helped me. Um, because you can't, you don't really want to even give back the energy that they're giving you because then that just perpetuates this negative cycle, just negative energy around your day. You know, like how you, something bad happened and then like bad stuff just keeps happening because like you're in that space. So I would just find other, um, therapeutic ways to release whatever energy they brought to the space. Also, I think the phrase holding space is so great. I think it's such a succinct and um, like pure way of just like saying what you need without saying like, I want someone's attention, like which can feel very like superficial or very whatever. The idea of making space for yourself, for others, I think is a really simple, but like very effective way to remind yourself of like showing up for people. Um I'm just making, that's me verbally making mental notes for myself throughout this interview. (laughs) Okay. Last question um, from a listener. They say, um, it's from Alexis. I'm 25 years old and I work in a major grocery store chain as a store manager. I feel lucky that I have this job because it's provided me with financial stability for the past few years while being so young. However, I'm constantly drained from being yelled at by rude, overprivileged customers and ridiculously high expectations from the corporate overlords. My job gives me no purpose. I'm scared to leave and potentially lose my financial stability, but I have a bachelor's in psychology. Should I say fuck the grocery store work and follow my passion into a master's program? I feel like I know your answer to this, but I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Absolutely. You should say fuck the grocery store. (laughs) I think, you know, like, like it's life is life is too long to be doing things that you don't love and it don't bring you joy. It's just not Mm -hmm. worth it. And at the end of the day, our most powerful currency is our mental state, right? Mm. Like that is our most powerful currency. And you have to remember that um, you're always experiencing someone else's reality and someone else's imagination, whether you want to or not, right? Like we are on this because you imagine this podcast and like enough people believed it for it to come true. Um, Facebook, social, like all these, every experience that we experience in life is us experiencing someone else's imagination. And Mm. so why not gift yourself the permission to experience your own? Like you don't have to work at that grocery store. Like, like it doesn't serve you. You should absolutely leave that and go after your <laughs> dreams. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to take that sound bite for myself and replay that back a billion times because that was just such a beautiful way of uh, uh, putting into context everything that we do as, as creatives and humans in the world. Um, 
Ogie, this has been so wonderful. And I thank you so much for your time. We're getting towards the end here. Um, but before we wrap up completely, we like to give a little uh, token of our appreciation to our guests. And we have, uh, we have a personalized horoscope for you that Melissa just put in the chat um, if you'd like to read it out loud to all of us. Yes, it says, Dear Gemini, Twins of the Stars, the moon has been sitting in Gemini for a while now, which is driving you to pursue more of your goals. It may be a great time to pick up a new hobby, such as knitting a wonky-ass scarf, even though it's almost summer. <laughs> there you go. It's in the stars somewhere. Um, Yogi, also, I mean, I'm sure you're getting this question a million times. What's coming up? Um... So many I'm not able to talk about, but <laughs> um, just it. know that like this is only the beginning of you seeing this face um, oh. and I'm really excited about it all. Oh, that's I'm so excited for you. Also, um, where can people find you now that your Instagram is open and available to the public <laughs> uh, or wherever on online that they should be checking you out? Where can people find you? Um, well, all my social handles are the same and it's just Ogi the Yogi, which is O-G-E. T-H-E-Y-O-G-I. Beautiful. And um, for people that haven't seen Invisible Portraits, are they, is it available everywhere now for people to watch? Well, right now it's only still available on OWN, but on come, own. Okay. come the first week of April, it will be available everywhere. So you can check your streaming platforms. Amazing. Thank you again for making time for us. Super, super appreciate it. And I can't wait to see um, everything that you're going to do. I know it's going to be awesome. Thank you, Ogi. Uh, make sure everyone you go check out everything that this beautiful human is doing. It's incredible. And I have to go reflect and do some breathing work because I don't think I've taken a breath this entire episode. We'll see you guys next time on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep. It was Grace Helbig. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated. Producer Melissa D. Montz. Edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry and an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. Music